Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 7th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glenn. If you're wondering what happened to my voice, I lost it this weekend at the Rutgers game. We are through week one of the college football season and what a week one it was. Georgia beat Clemson in a defensive showcase. Texas started the Steve Sarkeesian era on the right note. Alabama with a new quarterback in Bryce Young still looks as dominant as ever. And Washington in what was not a very convincing week for the Pac-12 outside of UCLA got upset by Montana. Today, I will be joined by Bud Elliott, and we are going to break down three winners and three losers of this past weekend. Before we start, though, I have a personal winner, and I know everyone's going to say, oh, stop talking Rutgers, but just give me two minutes because not only did they dominate Temple 61 to 14, but there's also been an interesting revelation when it comes to top 24-7 quarterback and Rutgers commit Gavin Wimsat. So yes, Rutgers beat up on Temple. I was there. My voice might be a little hoarse, and I got so sunburned that it is actually pretty painful. But nevertheless, it was worth it to be back in the stadium watching my alma mater play. In regards to Wimsat, look, he is joining Quinn Ewers as highly ranked 2022 quarterback prospects to forgo most, if not all, of their senior seasons to enroll in their colleges early. This, of course, has a lot to do with NIL. And like Ewers, Wimsat is believed to have a six-figure deal lined up as soon as he gets to Rutgers. I'm very happy about it, personally. I think Wimsat was going to be given every opportunity to start for the Scarlet Knights in 2022 as a true freshman. But now he will have the rest of the season to learn the offense, get acclimated to the coaching staff and the culture, and participate in a college strength and nutrition program. And when you're able to do that earlier than most of your classmates, you have that sort of leg up in whatever competition you're going for. But I think we are kind of at a tipping point here, right? Are highly ranked college quarterbacks for going their high school seasons to enroll going to become a pattern or are yours and Wimsat unique situations? You'd think that quarterbacks of the caliber that they have reached and those that have the potential that they do to earn these six figure plus deals like they both did, you would think that it's just a matter of time until a lot of these quarterbacks have to decide, do I stay for my senior year or do I take the money? And frankly, look, I don't know the answer. It's really an open-ended question, but it is something to monitor for sure. These could be one-off situations or in the cycles going forward, we could see this more often. But whatever happens, look, I think it's time to stop my little monologue. And I think it's time for us to hear from Bud Elliott as he and I discuss winners and losers from an exciting week one. Joined now by Bud Elliott. Bud, a very exciting week one, but I want to hit on three winners and three losers of the first week of the college football season. And and first and foremost, though, before we get to that, how great was it for you to just see full capacity stadiums, you know, college football traditions back and just really a, a sense of normalcy throughout these campuses on Saturday? Yeah, and look, Lance, I think you hit it on the head. There really was more of a sense of normalcy. And I think the passion really was was pretty jacked up for, for folks who weren't able to go to games last year. I think they realized that they lost something and that they were you know now able to get that back. I think that was pretty big. Yeah, certainly. I know myself, I was at, at the Rutgers game. It was my first game back since 2019. I don't know if you guys can hear it in my voice, but I, I lost my voice a little bit because I was so excited for, for the outcome of that game. My Scarlet Knights won 61-14 over Temple. But I want to start with our first winner of the weekend, and that's got to be the Georgia Bulldogs. Having the head-to-head win against the team they could possibly be competing with for a playoff spot is huge. Georgia now has it, beating Clemson. Look, it wasn't the prettiest of games, but a win is a win, whether it's by seven or by 70. Beating Clemson, starting off 1-0 with a top five win, 
Georgia has to be one of our three winners this weekend. There's no doubt about it. Any kind of W for, for Georgia in that scenario is, is really what they needed to come away with. Uh, we knew going into the game, if you listen to the Junkyard Dogcast, they had numerous injuries on the offensive side of the ball. They knew the defense would have to carry them. And boy, did it ever, right? The defense for Georgia scored the only touchdown in the football game. We, we were watching the, the, the Florida State-Notre Dame game on Sunday night. And the best player on the field for the Knowles was Jermaine Johnson, who was a backup for Georgia last year along the defensive line and realized he wasn't going to start for them. I, I think that's, and he had almost 10 tackles and a couple sacks against the Irish. I think that speaks to the, just the ridiculous quality of that Georgia defensive front. Clemson's offensive line, maybe it's not elite, but it's not bad. They just were made to look totally inept by a Georgia front that just dominated them. Jordan Davis in the middle, why is he not in the NFL right now? Uh, they just couldn't handle him all night. Nicobe Dean, Nolan Smith. And then on the back end, there really didn't appear to be, when the ESPN would go with the wide angle, didn't really appear to be that many uh, open guys. And I mean, when there were, DJ, if he had time, hit him. But he just so rarely had time. He was harassed all night. And look, if Georgia does not get some guys healthy back on offense and doesn't hit its stride on offense, it won't win the SEC. Because in today's day and age, you have to be able to score points. But that defense should buy them time to get the offense right, assuming guys can get back healthy. Because they're going to limit everybody they play to a very low number of points. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you did mention that if they don't get guys back, they obviously do need to score points, especially after what we saw Alabama do to Miami. But winner number two, for me, it has to be Penn State. Look, a top 25 matchup with Wisconsin. And like Georgia Clemson, it was a game that was dominated by defense. That one finished 16-10 in favor of the Nittany Lions. And to me, this really supplants Penn State as the Big Ten's number two team. And look, James Franklin, after a rough 2020 in which they went, I believe, four and five, if I'm correct, this is a big, big win to start off 2021. It, it really is. Uh, if you if you were to make a list of the teams about whose record in 2020 you were most skeptical, like, was it real? Did it really count? And that's not to say, like, obviously, Bama's national championship counts. But there were a lot of teams last year, I think you can kind of cast a, a bit of a side eye towards and say, is that really what that program is? 2020 was, was such a strange year. And Penn State is really close to the top of that list. They look dominant on defense. They locked down Wisconsin for pretty much the, the entire game. Offensively, under new coordinator Mike Yersich, they had some consistency problems, but they were able to hit some explosive plays in the passing game with Jahan Dotson. I know Penn State receiver issues have, have been a thing in previous years, uh, but this year with, with, with Dotson and Washington and those guys, they look like they have some, some nice weapons on the outside. And Lance, I agree with you. I think right now they are uh, my clear number two team in the Big Ten. And the Big Ten West race got more interesting as well because now Wisconsin has a conference loss and Iowa was able to take it in Indiana. So that, that could be a very interesting re- uh, race for the West. Yeah, certainly. And, and you know, you did mention the inconsistency somewhat with that new Penn State offense, but you, you got to look also af- after watching the game, there were a couple uh, of passes Sean Clifford missed to Jahan Dotson uh, that could have resulted in more Penn State points and more yards to make that offense look a little bit better. But like you said, that defense was just so stout against Graham Mertz and that Wisconsin offense. I want to move on to our last winner now, and I want to head out West, UCLA and Chip Kelly. Now, Chip Kelly went into the season without any non-conference wins in a season that you can make an argument might be make or break for him with the Bruins. But now through two games, they are two and oh, two non-conference wins, and they just upset 16th ranked LSU in what was pretty impressive fashion. We'll talk about the Tigers later on, but this was a real signature win for the Chip Kelly era at UCLA. 
It really was. I, I think you saw the consistency of, of Chip Kelly's approach here. And the if you give Chip Kelly a bunch of very veteran players with all the super seniors they have on that roster, they're able to do so many different things on offense. And I think they're very good along the lines of scrimmage. And so you, you have a, a quarterback who's not being harassed all that much in, in DTR. And their run game just is so multiple. They were able to bust a lot of big runs against LSU. Uh, just with some kind of old school Chip Kelly, Oregon stuff and some of the stuff he ran back when he was with the Eagles. Like they, their defense is very aggressive, maybe prone to big plays. But I on the Cover 3 podcast, that, that was one of my favorite preseason bets of the year, uh, UCLA 10-1 to 1, to win the back to, Pac-12 South. And so why, why can't they be the best team in the Pac-12 South? And if they can win the South, why, why, why can't they win the conference? I think Chip Kelly is a pretty good coach. Some of the recruiting has been suspect at times. Uh, but they look like the superior team to UCLA. And that's that's two very impressive performances in a row. First week was Hawaii, but they did crush Hawaii in the way that you would expect a good team to take care of. Yeah. And what an addition Zach Charbonnet has been the dual headed running back monster of Charbonnet and Brown rushed for, I believe, over 200 yards against LSU's defense. Now I want to move on to the losers of the week. You never want to be in this category, but we had to choose three. I want to stick with the game we were just talking about this does not bode well at all for Ed Orgeron. The belief is that, look, after a 5-5 five and five 2020, his seat was kind of warm, you know, heading into this season. Now you losing to UCLA, starting 0-1. The seat is only going to get hotter and hotter the more losses come for Coach O. This was an opportunity for a nice non-conference win, and the Tigers, they just weren't able to take advantage of that opportunity. You're 100% right. Now, look, let's throw it out there that, that LSU, obviously, with the hurricane, was displaced this week. We don't know how much that factored in to this loss, but we can both agree that it didn't help that the fact they had to be on a 10 or 11 hour bus ride from Baton Rouge to Houston to to EVAC for the hurricane. But in the larger picture, everybody wanted to know, did Ed Orgeron build a team in 2019 or was he building a program? Because 2020 looked pretty disorganized. And if you make some disastrous coordinator hires, it does cause people to question if you know what you're doing or if you just kind of got you know, a little bit lucky with the Joe Brady, Joe, Joe Burrow, and ridiculous receiver core combination. Now, he recruited those players, so he deserved credit for that. But so far, it doesn't look like he's been able to find that magical formula again on the coordinator side. It's only one week. LSU has a bunch of talent. They could get better. But it doesn't, to me, it doesn't look like they're right on the cusp of being back to national championship contender or playoff contender good, which I don't think LSU fans, their, their expectation is that. Right? They, they had one of the best teams of all time in 2019, and now they're trying to be top third in the SEC, maybe. Bo Pelini was, I guess, somewhat of a scapegoat last year. You know, there were always problems with the defense. You bring in a new defensive coordinator. They still give up th- uh, 38 points. They still can't stop the run. So, again, questions are now starting to arise with LSU and with Coach O. And, of course, as I said before, his seat getting hotter and hotter the more losses come up. I want to move on to our second loser of the weekend. And this is – this isn't just one team. This is actually an entire area. The state of Washington is loser number two. Now, look, I give credit. Eastern Washington, they beat UNLV, but Washington lost to Montana and Washington State lost to Utah State. Look, all in all, bud, this was just not a very good weekend for the Evergreen State out in the Pacific Northwest. No, it definitely was not. And good thing for the Pac-12 that UCLA won. Otherwise, we'll be talking about a, a pretty disappointing overall weekend. But you know, Washington losing to Montana. Montana is not a bad FCS team, but it's still an FCS team. Washington is supposed to be one of the best teams 
in the Pac-12. I know they had a number of their top receivers not play, but only scoring seven points uh, is is pretty pretty inexcusable against an FCS team, and that's what they did. Last year, the questions about Washington were on the offensive side of the ball. Can new, can new head coach Jimmy Lake, can, can he show that he can be a head coach and not just a defensive coordinator? Through week one of 2021, it, it doesn't really look like it. A lot of season to go. We'll see. They have to go play Michigan this week. And then Washington State, that was just absolutely not the result uh, that they needed. Nick Rolovich had a very controversial offseason with, with, with all the vaccine stuff and some of the ways he's handled some things there. I would not be surprised if, if he's not long uh, for that program. You can't lose to Utah State at home after that offseason he had. No, you can't. And like you said, it was a controversial offseason for Nick Rolovich. Not only that, they were up by two scores in the fourth quarter, and they still let Utah State. It was 23-11. Utah State rings off four, uh, 15 unanswered to win 26-23. So not a good start for Nick Rolovich, for Jimmy Lake, uh, and for the entire state, really of Washington. And I want to move on to our last loser. And we kind of talked about conferences and you said that if the PAC 12, if, if UCLA hadn't won, it would have been a rough week for the PAC 12. But our last loser is the ACC's top teams. You know, we talked about it before Clemson lost to Georgia, North Carolina on Thursday, went to Lane stadium and got upset by Virginia tech. And then look, I didn't think Miami would beat Alabama, but they just got blown out. It wasn't even close. The ACC's three best teams. They went 0 and three, not a very positive start for the favorites to stand atop the conference come the end of the season. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, and and I, I think that Clemson's effort, right, N- not scoring an offensive touchdown looks bad. But then they're also potentially going to lack some of the quality wins that they will need to make their playoff case. Now, that doesn't mean they're out of the playoffs. Certainly, they still have an excellent shot to get into the playoffs. But I do believe that if Clemson was going to win that game, they probably needed North Carolina or Miami to go, what, 10-2 and two or 9-3. and three. So you had another top 10, top 15 type of win uh, when you get to Charlotte to face them. And right now, I, I don't know that they're going to have that on their schedule. It, it definitely hurts their resume. North Carolina, if North Carolina was going to step up and be a top 10 team this year, they needed some of those young guys on the defensive line to really step up and maybe arrive a year early. And so far, it, they, they did not. Virginia Tech largely handled them up front. Probably should have scored more points, but they had some turnover problems and some red zone issues. North Carolina offensively, that was surprising to me. Some of those young receivers they have and the young backs are just not clicking quite yet. I don't think the offensive line was that good for them. Credit for Virginia Tech for coming out and and having a great game plan and being very ready in their opener. Miami, it was just, uh, that that was problematic. We've seen Alabama stomp a lot of teams, but Miami just physically didn't look like they belonged on the same field as Alabama. And uh, I do think that that game sort of exposed some of the issues with that scheme that Miami runs. They, the receivers aren't really winning one-on-one. It's very tempo-based. And if they're not able to get that inside run game going, since this is kind of a variant of that, uh, that Gus Malzahn offense that they run under Rhett Lashley, that there's not really much of a drop-back passing game there. And Alabama kind of exposed them. Now, most other teams in the ACC cannot do to Miami what Alabama did. So they do have that going for them, but not a good weekend for the ACC. And Georgia Tech uh, lost quarterback Jeff Sims injury and actually was upset at home by Northern Illinois. Just not a good week for for the Atlantic Coast Conference at all. And regarding Miami, you know, we've we've seen Alabama come out in these neutral site games and sort of crush the morale of any team that they've played and and sort of 
put a, a big burden on them the rest of the season. And, and for Miami's case, you, you hope that doesn't happen because this is a good Miami team, but certainly not the way they wanted to start in week one against Alabama. Look, but it was a fun week one for some, not so much for others. Let's hope that same excitement obviously comes in week two. Thanks so much for joining us and giving me some time today. Lance and Jordan, bud. Big thanks to Bud Elliott for coming on. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott3. My name is Lance Glenn. I will be back with you tomorrow for the next edition of the College Football Daily.